morning. Turn with me to the book of First Samuel. And uh, we're just going to continue going right down the line here. We have talked about a godly mother, and then last week we spoke about the tale of two families when we talked about Elkanah and Hannah's family versus Eli's family. And uh, I'm so glad uh, that we really, I think one of the things we learned was a, a detriment to us is trying to compare ourselves with ourselves. We didn't have to do that. God did that for us in the Bible and uh, really showed, uh, I think really spoke to my heart just about parenting and uh, children being raised according to the nurture and admonition of the Lord or in that. And, uh, and you see the results. It, it, it's one thing to say, I believe I'm a good parent. It's another thing to watch the outcome or the product, right? And, uh, and that's kind of humbling, is it not? Uh, it's always humbling as a parent to see uh, something in your children that's wrong and you know it comes from you, right? Um, all of my kids' uh, bad traits come from me. All of their good traits come from my wife, Cammie. So <laughs> it's kind of easy to delineate that. Oh, that's a, that, that, you, you know how you know that? Because whenever they get in trouble, she always goes, your son <laughs> or your daughter. And, uh, and that's kind of the way we decide who's right and wrong in the family is who's in trouble or not. But uh, this week, I want to talk about a faithful servant. And I want to just kind of circle in on Samuel and the beginning of his ministry really as a young man. And, uh, and I want to pull out some things from his life that the Bible teaches us, uh, what I believe is a faithful servant of God. Now, if you don't have an outline, you didn't get one when you came in, I want you to raise your hand real quick, and uh, Uncle Bob's going to come and give you one, all right? So raise your hand. Pardon the paraphernalia. If you're not a 49er fan, don't, don't, don't say anything to him because he'll take over the service, all right? All right, just keep your hand up right there. There we go. My daughter and I got to go to a Giants game on Friday. Uh, it was the first of a series of three that your championship, world champion Dodgers were there. And uh, so we went with all of our regalia on, and uh, that's a good thing, Dave. And uh, Dave is my Dodger bodyguard. And, uh, and, and it, was, it was great. It's a great right here, Brother Bob, some from right in front of you. Um, it was a great experience. I like going to the enemy's territory dressed in the winner's uniform. And, uh, and it was interesting. We had giant fans behind us, Dodger fans behind them, giant fans in front of us, Dodger fans in front of them. And, uh, you know, we were in a section that was supposed to be fully vaccinated or a COVID negative test, right? Anybody else need an outline? And, uh, and so, you know, you have the stadium that seats, oh, I don't know, 40,000 or something like that. And uh, the, all everything going in there, social distance, keep everything away. And I see all of these empty seats all around us. And I see two people sitting there. And I walk down the thing and I said, I know those are my seats sitting right next to those people. I just know. And sure enough, they put us right there. And the next thing you know, within 45 minutes, I think there was 400 people all sitting next to each other. And I thought, now, if you're going to say one thing, do it. But if you're not, don't say it at all. Isn't it so confusing? Uh, so we're all wearing these. You know, you got to go in, show your vaccination shots, show your negative tests. Everybody's wearing these bracelets. And they've got us all on top of each other and hundreds of empty seats. And we were all sitting there looking at each other like, we should just cut those things and sit over there. And, you know, people running up and down the thing with, put your mask on, put your mask on. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Everybody, I'm not joking, 10 people at least said, why do we have to wear a mask if none of us have the virus? And oh, it was just amazing. The biggest part was not that, though. The best part was that the Dodgers won. 
And uh, I barely made it out of the stadium with my life. Uh, Jenna had to protect me a couple times on the way out to the truck, but we made it out there. So uh, anyway, that was just for free. That was to get Uncle Bob to help us. Thanks, Brother Bob. I appreciate that. First Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. And uh, we'll read just 10 verses to begin with, and then we'll jump right into this this morning. The Bible says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. By the way, I hope it's still precious to you. I, I hope it's still precious. You know, you when you value something, uh, you care about it. You look at it more than just every once in a while. It's something that you cherish. The Bible says in those days, the word of the Lord was precious. Why? Because there was no open vision. Now, remember the context of what we're talking about. Samuel is the last judge. So at this point, every man and woman is still doing that, which is right in their own eyes. They are, they are living it up, so to speak, in their own terms. And there's no spiritual guide. Eli is the priest. We all know how that turned out with him and his sons. And uh, so you know why the word of God is so precious. And there's no open vision because God didn't have a vessel. Hello? Amen. God was looking for someone to be a mouthpiece. And so because he didn't have it, there's no open vision. All right? So let's just go on. The Bible says it came to pass at the time when Elias, I'm sorry, when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he, that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel is laid down to sleep, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran into Eli, and he said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I, 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 I called thee not, I called not, lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and, arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now, let me just push pause there. Can you just for a minute pretend that you're Samuel? And three times you've heard a voice that says Samuel. You thought it was Eli. You ran in. And now finally, the man that you look up to, the man that you minister to the, before, uh, to the Lord every single day, multiple times a day, he says to you that you need to go back and say, speak Lord, what did Eli do? He identified to Samuel who was doing the talking. So now, can you imagine? You're about 12 years old, somewhere in there. Let's say 12 to 15. Let's be a little more uh, generous with that. And uh, you were spoken to directly by God. By the way, nobody has that radio station tuned in. And now you know. And you're supposed to go back and say, Speak Adonai. Because... Your servant hears, just pretend that's you. You're a young boy. This is what you've, you've serving God. And now he's spoken to you. It's never happened before since you've been there. And now you're about to talk to the creator. 
Isn't that pretty special? Pretty precious according to the Bible. The Bible says in verse 10, And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times Samuel, Samuel. What did Samuel do? Exactly what he was supposed to do. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the word of God, and this morning I pray that you'd bless it. I pray that you'd give us as your people understanding of your word, and then, Lord, as we leave here shortly, that you'd give us wisdom to rightly apply it. And God, I yield myself to you this morning again, and I ask that you'd use me. I ask that you'd help me just to get out of your way, and that you would use me as your mouthpiece, that you would withhold from me anything that would get in your way, and God, that you would help me to say only those things that would honor your throne. I pray, God, that you would minister now in Jesus' name. Amen. If this last year has taught us anything about our country, it's this. People really do need Jesus Christ. They really need the Lord. What I mean by that is that our culture is rapidly running away from God at breakneck speed, and they need the gospel. But let's just be honest. In order to hear the gospel, someone has, who has received the gospel must be willing to speak up about the gospel. Romans chapter 10 and verse 14, How then shall they call on him on whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Esaias saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, if you listen carefully enough, you'll hear many voices being lifted up in America today. None of them, or let's just be a little more generous, few of them speaking of Jesus Christ. People are passionate about making a difference in their communities in this country, especially today. But what God is looking for are people who have the only answer to making a genuine difference. A difference that is not temporary, a difference that is not bound by a dispensation, but rather a difference that will last forever. That's what he's looking for. To review, our story takes place in a similar day and age. People everywhere doing that which is right in their own eyes, not seeking the Lord, not worshiping God. They were given over to what we would call a licentious lifestyle. In the middle of that kind of culture, one couple decided, no, we're not going to live that way. We're going to live for God. We're going to worship God. We're going to raise children for God. And we're going to raise our son, Samuel, and we're going to give him to the Lord. They committed themselves to praying for him. They committed themselves to guiding him the best that they could. And that little boy grew into a young man whom God called to be his servant. He called him to be someone who would stand up and speak on the behalf of God. I want you to turn back, if you will, to First Samuel chapter 2 and verse 35. This was God's statement, and he's the one that is speaking through a man of God to Eli. And he says in verse 35, and I will raise me up, notice this, a faithful priest. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Eli, and I was already a priest, and he said God's going to raise me up a faithful priest, I'd have taken it right in the chest. It might as well have been a controlled pair of 45 caliber bullets hit me right there because I'm a priest, but what God's saying is I'm not a faithful one. God says, I will raise me up a faithful priest. 
that shall do according to that which is my, in mine heart and in my mind. Boom, that's the second round. What's that mean? That means that I'm doing whatever I want to do instead of what God wants me to do. Somebody say amen. If you're Eli, you're not feeling really good about this right now. But because God is true to his word and because God's word is always good and his promises are always sure, he tells him what he's going to do ahead of time. And Samuel is the answer to that promise. He says, I'll raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before mine anointed for Ever. Now, the background of that, of course, is we know that Samuel's not going to live forever, but we do know that Jesus is the faithful high priest that lives forever, and we're thankful for that. Now, I can say this with all assurance. God is still looking for faithful servants. Amen. He's still looking for faithful servants to share his gospel message of hope and salvation today. What do people, do, what do they not have today? Hope. They don't have assurances. Many of us are still in shock and awe over the last 360 some days because we don't know really what to plan. We don't know about what a day may bring forth. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Even if all the indications from the government, all uh, local government, well, by June, whatever, it's going to be no masks and everybody's going to, we're going to run around and go, yay. I guarantee you there'll still be people in masks, rubber gloves, plastic shields, walking around going, I don't know what you're doing. I'm not doing that. It's just going to be like that. What do they need? They need hope. What do they really need? They need Jesus. They need to be saved. They don't have assurances like we're supposed to have. They don't know the Lord. Will you hear his voice? If he speaks today to you, will you hear his voice and not harden your heart? The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16 and verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. God is always looking for someone. His eyes are always on the lookout for a vessel, for a sanctuary, for someone to be willing to be a servant. And unfortunately, the bad part about that is we, just like Israel, at times have hardened our hearts. So that though he may be speaking, we really can't hear. Remember, it was Jesus that said in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, preacher, that's easy. You're a preacher and I'm not a preacher. I'm not supposed to preach. That's for preachers. No, that just means proclaim. It just means to speak it clearly and loudly. It just means to, let's just do it in a song. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. That's what it means. Now, if the Lord is faithful, and we know that he is, and he's true, and we know that that's true also, if he were to say to you today, would you be my servant? Would you be willing to say, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way? It's interesting to me how Mary, Hannah, Moses' mama, Samuel, we could go through the line. They just said, okay, Lord, whatever you have for me, I'll do it. Look at what God made Isaiah do or Ezekiel do. And you just go, what? You just kind of don't understand the kind of different positions that God puts you in or situations that God puts you in. And yet people in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation would say, I'll do it. I'll be that one. There's all kinds of crusaders walking around the world today saying, I'll be the one. And they're 
wanting to call attention to them. But God's saying, no, rather than that, I'm looking for someone who will call attention to me. I'm looking for someone who will just be my servant. And Samuel said, speak, for thy servant heareth. This morning, as you take your outlines, I'd like to take really just a page out of the Bible and look at three necessary habits of a faithful servant. What made Samuel a faithful servant of God? Well, number one, a faithful servant is sensitive to the voice of God. He's sensitive to the voice of God. As we said, God still speaks today. He does that through his word. He does it through the Bible when it's read. He does it through the Bible when it's preached, according to 1 Corinthians. The problem with the world is not that God is not speaking. That's not the problem. The problem is that people are not listening. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. Now he's going to go back, and he's going to give us a history lesson of what it looks like when people say, No, I don't want to listen to God. In fact, the Bible says that that terminology is that you provoke God. You're making him to do something that he doesn't want to be done. And so it says, as in the provocation, in the day of the temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Listen. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, that is a loaded passage, but let me just bring out a couple of things. First of all, how do I hear God's voice? The Bible says it's my heart. This is where he speaks. The seed of who I am, my soul, everything about me that's going to live eternally begins in my heart. That's connected to my mind. When God speaks, it's going to be to my heart. Why? Because that's where I make all the most important decisions. Keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Now, if that's the case, then this passage also reveals to us that if that is hardened, that I am going to have a different view of sin. Everybody get follow me so far. If my heart is hard and I am not listening to God's still small, sweet, holy, loving voice, that means that I'm going to be deceived by sin. I'm going to be easily snared by sin. I will systematically be worn down by sin. Why? Because I'm listening to the wrong voice. I'm not hearing what God is saying to me. God says, no, no, don't do that. In fact, over and over and over in the Bible, you'll find that phrase about the provocation and hardening hardening your heart said. Why? Because we do it so easily. And everybody sitting in this room, More than likely, at a time, we've hardened our hearts. And God's trying to get a hold of us. Or it's not listening. You ever have your kids with the earbuds in or the headphones on? And and, and nowadays, they make it even easier for them to ignore us. They have sound or they have have, uh, noise-canceling headphones, right? That's that's code for parent-canceling headphones. So it used to be back in the day, you got a little CD or cassette player, and you had those little styrofoam things, and you could hear everything. You could hear a jet at 30,000 feet. And you're like, I need to turn my music up or whatever, right? Nowadays, they put it on and they're just like, they don't even know what's going on around you. They'll go in and watch a movie and they'll be like this. And you'll be like, it's dinner time. They're just glued, right? So 
that's a silly illustration about how our kids sometimes can't hear us. But it's really sometimes a very vivid illustration of how we can't hear God. Because we're so engrossed in something else, we're not listening to what God has to say. That's a bad situation to be in. You understand that? You know what I'm thankful? Samuel wasn't like that. Now think about that. He was sitting at the feet of a man who was really not a good dad. He was an unfaithful priest of God. He, was, he wasn't willing to be a good father to his own children. And yet this little boy was being sensitive. He was wanting to do what God wanted him to do. And by the way, by the grace of God, he spared him. He didn't get caught up in all that that Hophni and Phinehas was doing and, and all of Eli's desires. You see, there are so many voices in the world today, all of them competing for your attention and loyalty. It's time for God's people to hear the voice of their shepherd. It's time for God's people to respond and following him wherever he leads. Jesus said in John 10 and verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And what do they do? They follow me. That's what sheep do. They don't look, they don't listen to another shepherd. They only listen to their shepherd. The Lord Jesus describes the condition of the church who stopped listening to his voice. They became blind to their own spiritual condition, living independent of God within the church membership. Think about that. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Listen to the phrase. If any man will hear my voice. Look, God's not looking there for the congregation. Hello? I just want one person to let me in. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him. I will come in to him, will sup with him, and he with me. I just need one faithful servant. That's how I know God's still looking. That's how I know God's still calling. God's, God is clear. A faithful servant is the one who is sensitive to his voice. Every time he heard the voice, he went in. He didn't know it, thought it was Eli, didn't recognize it. But then when he did know it was him, he was ready. He was ready to go in. Secondly, a faithful servant is not just sensitive to the voice of God. It's also eager to obey the commands of God. Now, this is going to take a little bit to help us all understand, but I just want you to be very clear on what the Bible says here and what it does not say. What's interesting to me is that you go back and read through this text, how quickly Samuel responded to the voice when he heard it. Even though he wasn't sure, he thought it was Eli, the Bible uses the word ran. Now, I'll not take the time to go back through all this, but let's just take one Bible character that most people would recognize and talk about him running to the will of God. His name is David. The Bible says that he hastened to Goliath. Not about you, but if I had a nine foot, nine and a half foot giant sitting out in the middle of a valley with a big old spear and a shield, and, and he was getting ready to cut my head off, I don't know that I'd run to him. I'd probably conceal, get some cover, probably get my bazooka out and then blow him to smithereens. I wouldn't be running at him. But isn't it interesting that God had another servant in a time when he couldn't find anybody in all of Israel, not his brothers, not the king, and David is running. Now here, Samuel's doing the same thing. I don't necessarily know the voice. I think it's Eli, but I'm going to run to see what he wants. What is that? That's just eagerness to serve. That's eagerness to do whatever needs to be done. He was eager to make sure that the light in the temple didn't go out. He was also eager and willing to do what God told him to do. Now listen, here's the catch. Regardless of what it entailed, and man, was it going to be a doozy. 
You're 12, 15 years old. You're in the junior high class. God says, I want you to do something and let me tell you what it's going to be. You're going to have to go before the man that has been pretty much your surrogate daddy for these years. And you're going to have to tell him his demise and my judgment on his life. Now you go and do it. Pretty big order. Let's see what the Bible says. Look down in verse 12. Uh, Verse 11. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. Man, you could preach about that. Highlight that in your Bible. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told them that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth. Because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. Therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. And Samuel lay until the morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, Here am I. And he said, What is the thing that the Lord hath said unto thee? Now look up here. If you're Samuel right now, you know that familiar thing in your gut where it starts to burn and then it gets heavy and then it goes, it flips over. It just happened to Samuel. Uh, uh, You know what I mean? You remember like when your daddy used to catch you red handed and you were going to bold face lie right there and you thought, man, this is drop dead. I'm either going to lie and get punished or I'm going to tell the truth and be punished. And your stomach is all up in knots. We're here. He is being asked what God told him. And you're 12 years old, and you're looking at, let's just be nice, 75, 80-year-old priest that's about 400 pounds. And you're going to get to tell him, the priest of the land, well, God told me, he didn't tell you, but here's the word of the Lord. Do you know how awkward that would seem the first time you say it? Thus saith the Lord. So the Bible says, uh, what is the thing that the Lord has said unto thee? Verse 17, I pray thee, hide it not from me. And then he threatens him, God, do so to thee. And more also, if thou hide anything from me, all of all the things that he said unto thee. So what does Samuel do now? I'll tell you what he does. He obeys God. Though it might be uncomfortable, though he doesn't want to say it, he doesn't want to be mean to this man. This man's cared for him. He's tried to show him the right way. This man has allowed him to minister into the temple as a young man, try to teach him what's important. And now you're going to look at him, and this is what he says. The Bible says Samuel told him every wit and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is, it is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth good. You know, what I find in this passage is how the Lord spoke to me. It's one thing to hear the voice of the Lord and recognize his call for me to be saved and obey the gospel. But it's another thing to do it. It's one thing to hear the Lord's voice, recognize it, be saved and get saved. But after we're saved and the Holy Spirit begins to guide us in a direction that's foreign and uncomfortable. In a way that is going to be challenged by a friend. In a way that will be rebuffed by a family member it could be a tile an entire different story i mean good night for me i don't know about you but for me every time i give the gospel and every time i go through the plan of salvation i fully expect that that person is going to say what must i do to be saved 
I just expect it. Because for me, on this side, it's so easy. Man, repent. Trust Christ as your Savior. Let's get this train moving. Let, let's get this thing going. Let, let, let God get your ducks in a row. So many people say, I got to get my ducks in a row and then get saved. No, you got to get saved and God will arrange the ducks. That's how it works. But, but after that, it's the arrangement that we have a problem with. Oh man, it's, I'm so thankful that it's easy to be saved. But it is not easy getting those ducks in a row. It's not easy standing before your family and saying, sorry, we're not doing this now. Well, why? We've done it for years. Well, I trusted Christ as my Savior recently, and I'm following him now. And he's burdened my heart. And I would be going against his word and my conscience, and I'm trying to live my life for Jesus Christ. That's hard. If you've ever had to do it, you know that's hard. If you're a parent that's ever had to do it, you know that's hard. Can you imagine? We've had over the years, we've had teenagers who lived for God when their parents weren't. That's even harder. That's where Samuel was. He was a teenager living before a man of God who didn't want to live before God, who didn't want to live for God, didn't want to serve God. But he said, well, if I got to do it, I'll do it. What are you willing to do if God tells you, this is what I want you to do? But God, it's so uncomfortable. But God, but God, but God. You ever have your kids just whine like that? But dad, but dad, but dad, do I have to clean all of my room? But do I have to? Yes, you do. By the way, a good parent says, yes, you do. You need to do it all. You need to do it right. Somebody help me right there. All right. God's no different. God's saying, look, if you want my richest blessing, if you want all my grace that you can just do it, just obey. I know it's hard. Well, say, how do you know it's hard? You're God. Well, I'm glad that he came down on this earth and he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. The Bible says that he learned obedience through the death of the cross. You want to talk about a God who understands every form of obedience? We have that kind of a God. And that's what he wants from us. Man, Samuel was just willing to obey. You see, it was Jesus that said, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And I suppose we have all experienced the ease and effortlessness of listening to God speak through a message. But perhaps you're like me and you've also experienced the difficulty and the strain that comes with obeying that message. With saying, okay, we can have a revival service and we can get in our face before God and then we got to go out those doors. And then we got to look at the people that we live by or with or work for. And then we got to make the tough decisions. Lord, I know what I said, but certainly I wasn't thinking about this. And God says, that's okay. I knew about that all along. I just want you to do it. Why? Because it's my will. Deuteronomy 3, 13 and verse 4, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and cleave unto him. What's Moses trying to get this generation to do? He's trying to say, look, your mom and daddy blew it, but you don't have to blow it. And, and, and let me say this, for the first generation Christians, you grew up and you didn't have a good example of a mom and dad and you didn't have the greatest example of, of Christian loyalty and a, and, a, and a fear of God. Let me just say this, by the grace of God, you can be the first 
And you can break that chain and you can live for the glory of God. And your children will be a little closer to God. And your grandbabies will be a little closer. And by the grace of God, by the time it gets to your great-grandchildren and you're in heaven, you can sit up there and you can watch them live for Jesus Christ in a greater way, all because you decided to obey. That's the blessing of the grace in perpetuity. But I can hand this down. And though I, I said, I had a talk with my sister this last week and I said, you know, Nessa, I said, my, my greatest hope is that my kids would just be a better dad than I am. That they'd just be a, a little better Christian than I am. That their kids would be a better Christians than them. And that we could turn this boat around. Joshua 24 said this. And the people said unto Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve. And his voice we will obey. Why? Well, because Joshua got up and said, listen, I don't know what y'all are going to do. But as for me and my house... We're going to serve the Lord. And so they thought, hey, if that one guy's doing it, maybe we can do it too. So you know what? We're going to obey God. You know, it only takes one. It only takes one to stand up. And then another one. And then another one. And pretty soon, we're able to stand up for the Lord everywhere. What does that do? It makes a difference. Acts chapter 9 and verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, that is Saul, who would be turned to Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Jesus said, Arise and go. And from that day on, you read the biography in Acts of Paul, all he kept doing, no matter whether he got knocked down or thrown down or stoned down, he arose and he went. That's all he did. Why? Because he determined at the very beginning, I'm just going to do whatever you want me to do, Lord. You see, if it was up to us, we would say, okay, now, Lord, I want to do all that you want me to do. Can you just tell me what it's going to be like when I go to Lystra? That's where he got stoned. And I don't mean through weed. I mean, he got stoned and left for dead. Can, can you just tell me what it's going to be like when I go to Iconium? Lord, can you just tell me what it's going to be like when I go to Antioch and all these Christians who've been saved for a really long time and Barnabas is a good guy, but Lord, I don't really know nothing. Can you just tell me what it's going to be like? Sorry, I can't do that. The grace that you get is for the moment. What I want you to do is trust me, obey me, and every time you step by faith, I'm going to give you more grace. And you can step by faith and I'll give you more grace. And if you stay humble, Paul, you can have all the grace I've got. And it'll be sufficient all the time. So what did he do? He walked by faith and not by sight. And what did he get for all of his labors? The Bible says that he labored more abundantly than they all. He got more grace. And what did he do? Man, he led so many people to Christ, started so many churches. And people today look back on Paul and say he could be one of the greatest Christian that ever lived. Why? Because he decided to be a faithful servant. Samuel was not only sensitive to the voice of God, he was eager to obey his commands. Thirdly, though, I want you to see this last point. He also was a servant that pursued the will of God. Now, way down at the end of the chapter, there's a let's just read verses 19 through 21 here. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. Now, let me just say this. You know what God wants for us is for all of us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I promise you this, according to the authority of Scripture, 
tomorrow morning you wake up and you seek for the Lord with all of your heart, you're going to find him. Because Jesus said that. I promise you this. If you do that every single day diligently, you know what's going to happen? You're going to grow and watch and the Lord's going to be with you. You know, I think there's a lot of Christians over the last year who's wondered. Lord? Lord? Are you here? Because I feel lonely. I didn't like the news that I just got from my doc. Lord, someone that I love very dearly just died. I feel alone. Lord, are you there? You know, for the servant of God who seeks God every day, who's growing, knows the Lord is there. Never have to doubt. The day that you got saved and you became a child of God, since that day to this day, I promise you this, you've never been alone. God is with you. It wasn't with Eli, but he was with Samuel. Samuel grew and he was with him and did not and, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan even to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. Wow. At such a young age. Here's the verse I was trying to get to. And the Lord again, uh, the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. Now, I'm, I'm not a doctorate. I, I'm not, I don't profess to be a theologue. But I don't think, according to what that verse says, that that was a regular occurrence. I think when everybody decided to do that, which was right in the eyes of the Lord, God didn't show himself publicly for a very long time. But he started to again. Watch what it says. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh. Follow along carefully by the word of the Lord. If the source of America's social disintegration is to be pinpointed so that it might be remedied, honesty compels us not to neglect the issue of selfishness. This is 1995 written in the USA Today. Self-centeredness and its related vices, crime, illegitimacy, child neglect, divorce, abortion on demand, legalized drugs, lawlessness, are exploding in America because... After centuries of Western philosophy devoted to this purpose, Americans are glorifying extreme individualism beyond healthy limits and beyond anything ever experienced by another national culture. Since the beginning of time, one thing we do well as human beings is repeat history over and over again. But scattered throughout the dispensations are people like Samuel who remained a faithful servant to God when those around them were doing their own thing. You see, that's what self-centeredness is. is God, I know you're there, man. Thanks so much for saving me. But I got this. I'm good to go. I can make these decisions on my own. I, if I need anything, I'll let you know. Now, let me just ask you a question. Does that sound like a servant of God? No, it sounds like a rebellious teenager that wants his freedom without responsibility. God says, look, I know what the problem is here. I want to show myself to you, but you're not letting me because of, of your heart. So here's what I want. I want a vessel. He looks, he sees in Genesis chapter six, Noah, who was righteous in all of his generations. He takes that man. Then he looks and sees a little bit later. Hey, there's Abraham. A few hundred years later. Oh, oh, look, oh, look, 
there's uh, his son Isaac. And then, oh, look, I just happened to get Jacob. Man, I got a threefer. Oh, look. Well, okay, not that, not that, not that. 11 kids later, okay, now I got one. There's Joseph. 400 years later, hey, there's Moses. Kind of get the drift. It's not like they come in like baker's dozens around the corner. It's almost like the ones who are serious, the ones who God really wants to use, are so few and far between. Isn't that interesting? There's Daniel. One and a whole herd. Oh, wait, yeah, he had three friends. Okay? And, and, and teenagers. And what did they do? Well, the premier power in all the world, King Nebuchadnezzar, got saved. Why? Because of a testimony. Because of a voice. Could I say it this way? Because of a servant of God who was faithful. Amen. You see, servants of God have a way of, letter A, seeking God's will. That's what, that's what Samuel wanted. I just want to do, okay, Lord, this is what you want me to do, then I'll do it. Now, why do I say that? Because at the end, the Bible says that he revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Did you know that the Bible, if I take this on my nightstand and just open it up and lay it there and leave it there, or even if I lay my head on it, did you know that I, I, I don't see God, right? You know, most of the Bibles that we've seen in bed are like this. That's the way they mostly end up. It, even if I lay it over, even if I tucked it in my shirt underneath and put it there, did you know God is not going to reveal himself in an opened book? But he will always reveal himself in a red book. All I have to do is open the word of God. If you're just reading the Bible just to read the Bible and not in search for God, friend, I'm sorry, but you're not going to find very much. But if you're looking in the scriptures to find Jesus Christ and to find the creator of all things, you will find him. Why? Because that is his last revelation. When that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And friend, we've got it. That's the Bible. That's the word of God. That means that I can trust it. So if I'm going to pursue the will of God, it's going to be through the word of God. How is it that God wants me to line my ducks up? How is it that he wants me to control my tongue? The Bible says, yeah, but pastor, I know what the Bible says about the tongue. No man can tame it. That's right. No man can, but God can. Friend, if there's anybody in here that has a mouth problem, it's me. Most of you have known me very long. You know, that's the truth. I was talking to my dad about it the other day and he agreed with me a little too quickly and I wasn't very happy about that. The fact of the matter is, as bad as it is, it would be much worse without Christ. Right? And that's the idea. Lord, how should I frame my words in this situation? Lord, will you take these words that were in my vocabulary, listen, before I got saved? And will you put them in the garbage pail? Will you help me not to say those words anymore? Come on, you guys know what I'm talking about. Will, will you change that? You see, the key to understanding this verse is fairly obvious. God doesn't reveal his will to those who are not interested in finding it. But Samuel wanted to know it. So God revealed it to him. If you're interested in God's will for your life, all you got to do is remove yourself from the other voices and open the Bible. That's all we've got to do. Proverbs 18.1, through desire, a man having separated himself seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. Proverbs 2 says that wisdom comes from the mouth of God. But Psalm 19 and verse 9, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? 
by taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against God. What is the desire there? God, I want to take your word, put it in my heart so I can live in your will. Amen. The faithful servant seeks the will of God. Secondly, he surrenders to it. He surrenders to it. It's not a matter, and you'll read here in a little while. We'll, we'll get into that in this next few weeks. But Samuel wasn't just like, okay, Lord, show me, show me, show me, show me. He wasn't from Missouri, by the way. Show me, show me, show me. But now I'm just going to do like Eli. I'm not going to do anything that you want me to do. I'm going to do my own thing. No, that wasn't Samuel. Samuel surrendered to the Lord. You know why? Because of the word servant. Now, that's not a very popular word today. But it literally means a slave. Samuel surrendered to God to be a slave to God. That means whatever you have for me, whatever you want me to do. And the first test was telling his mentor, God's going to kill you, all of your children. He's done with you. And Samuel passed the test. Wow. Out of the gate. Now, I could understand if Samuel was 10, 15, 20 years into the ministry and he had to do something difficult. But man, after he did it, the Bible says it was so shocking that everybody knew Samuel's the man of God. Samuel's the prophet of God. Why? Because he surrendered to the will. Romans 6, verse 13, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. It said that Cyrus, the founder of the Persian Empire, once had captured a prince and his family. And when they came before him, the monarch asked the prisoner, what will you give me if I release you? Well, the monarch replied, the half of my wealth. Well, what if I release your children? He said, everything that I possess. And if I release your wife, he looked at Cyrus and he said, your majesty, I will give you myself. Cyrus was so moved by his devotion that he freed them all. As they returned home, the prince turned to his wife and said, Man, you, Cyrus was a pretty handsome man, wasn't he? With a look deep, with a look of deep love for her husband, she said to him, and I quote, I didn't notice. I could only keep my eyes on you, the one who was willing to give himself for me. That's devotion. Doesn't, doesn't matter what happens to me. What happens is your will. What means the most is your will. Surrendering to God will mean putting his desires first. It means putting his plans first. Yielding to God, according to Romans 6, is putting his opinions first with a heart to sacrifice your own. So my question is, are you surrendered this morning? What if God said for something in your life, stop? I want you to stop today. Doesn't matter. Don't think of the ramifications. If he just said, if he said, uh, whatever, Kyle, stop. Would you stop? What if God said, speak? I, I want you to speak. Would you speak? Well, what if God said, go? I want you to go. Would you go? God's still calling people to hear his voice and to follow him. And if we're truly going to make a difference in this life, we've got to listen. We also have to follow. We have to be willing to surrender to say, God, you know, I put myself a little too high up on the pedestal and I put these other voices first. And Lord, I'm, I just want to be done with that. If you say stop, I'll stop. 
if you say do, I'll do. If you say go, I'll go. If you say speak, I'll speak. If you say jump, I'll say, Lord, how high? Lastly, once we surrender to his will, it's an amazing, amazing thing that happens. We become sanctified in the will of God. Now, let me just explain that. Psalm 4 and verse 3 says, but know that the Lord, I love this, this verse, and maybe you could take this verse. If there's a takeaway for you this week, you could take this verse and put these two verses or three verses on a three by five card and, and just read it over and over. Here's what the Bible says. But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear him when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still, Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. You know, there's a lot of things that require faith. But doing God's will requires the most faith, no matter what it is. Because you have to you have to just trust. I was watching a video. My son is kind of a um, a dude perfect nerd, and he he's my daughter. Just this is like this national craze. That I, I was like a dude. What? Just the fact that it says dude perfect. I was like, he's not perfect. Nobody should call himself perfect. You know, you look at it through those stained glasses, you're never going to see anything fun. Well, this guy's repelling in South Africa, and he's he's like me. He is scared to death of heights. And watching the video, my knees were shaking. I was rubbing my legs going, I'm just not looking. I can't look at the TV. And I'm sitting in my living room. This guy gets off of the 700-foot straight sheer cliff, and he's holding onto the ropes. And, he, and, and the instructor just says, lean back. How many have ever repelled? Okay, a couple of you. So you know that feeling. You've got to get way out over the edge. And he goes, now's the moment of truth. I want you to trust me. He's like, okay. He just says, let your hands go and do this. And the guy's like, all <laughs> right. It's like, no, no, just let go. He's like, oh, I can't let go. And, and, and watching that guy, my, I was nervous. My hands were sweating. My legs were shaking. My gut was all wrenched. And watching that guy just go, whoop, like this, what, I literally looked down. I was like, that is insanity. But you know what that required? Faith. That the man who knew what was going on, the man who harnessed him up, the man that had tested all of the gear, that that guy knew that if he let go of his hands, that he would be just fine. And so Kobe goes out there, he lets go, and, and you literally just sense the elation in him like, wow, it worked. You know, that's kind of the way the will of God is. You don't see how it's going to work. You're scared to let go. And you're out over that cliff. And you're like, God, I've never done this before. I've never rappelled down this mountain before. I've never seen that this is really scary to me. God, I just don't know if I can do this. And God says, you can. You can because this is where I've called you. You can because I've got grace to help you let go. Now just let go. And then you let go. And God says, see, I've got you. I've always got you. I'm never going to leave you alone. You don't have nothing to fear. If you believe God, Jesus said, believe also in me. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And you can't get to the Father but by me. Which means I can't get anywhere in my life without Jesus Christ. But through him, I can do all things. Hallelujah. I just have to let go and say, God, I surrender. If he said, whatever, would you, whatever. Know the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. 
I have a lot of favorite things. But God says, look, if you're going to walk before me godly, I'm going to take you in a special place. I'm setting you apart because I've got a, I've got a job for you. The blessing of God is the joy of the Lord and the heart of the believer. That's sanctified in the will of God. He honored God, and so God honored Samuel, and he sanctified Samuel before all of Israel and blessed his life. It's the joy of the Lord and the heart of the believer that lives his life in the center of God's will devoted to the purpose of God. Psalm 40 and verse 16, let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified all the time. So the faithful servant of the Lord sees no other recourse in life. So will you be one this week? I'm not asking you to go to Africa or Russia or China to be a missionary. I'm just asking you to say, Lord, what would that have me to do today? Today, God, what would you have me to do today? Will you listen? Will you seek his will? William Barclay describes defining worship as quickening the conscience by the holiness of God, feeding the mind with the truth of God, purging the imagination by the beauty of God, opening the heart to the love of God and devoting the will to the purpose of God. That's defining worship. So what's the voice of God saying to you this morning? Well, you know, it's a laundry list. Pick one. Pick one. If God's been long suffering to you for this long, if you just decide to pick one and work on it, I think he'll wait for the others. Because he knows if you're serious about it, then there will be others. Yeah, let's pray. Father, we surrender to you this morning. Lord, with open hearts, we want to be sanctuaries. We want to be separated unto you for yourself. And Lord, there are families in here this morning that have kids who could really benefit from a mama or a daddy who just decided to surrender all. Lord, what I understand from life experience is that full surrender really needs to be cyclical. Because we all tend to, at times, harden our hearts by the deceitfulness of sin and our own deceit in our heart. And so, Lord, I know that this message has spoke so much to me this week. I, I just want to tell you I surrender all over again. I need you. I need so badly your help. I need to trust you more. I need more of your grace and strength. I need more of your wisdom. And God, I, I can assume that I'm probably not the only one in this room like that. Please help us. God, help. Help us, O oh Lord, for the godly man ceaseth and the faithful fail. They speak everyone to their neighbor vanity and they seek leasing. And Lord, our only hope is for the servants of God to stand up and speak up so that others might know you. With your head bowed and eyes closed this morning, I'm going to ask you to keep your seats while Jenna plays the invitation. And Would you just take 60 seconds this morning and ask the Lord, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Are you involved in something that God is saying to you today? Stop. Would you stop? For the sake of the Lord, would you stop? If he's saying start, 
for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, would you start? I don't know what it is for you, but the Lord knows. Would you take just a minute or two this morning and surrender that which he's speaking to you over again? Ask him, Lord, help me. say, Pastor, God spoke to me directly this morning, and I listened. Would you pray for me as I surrender? How many would say that this morning? Just lift your hand up real quick. God spoke to me very clearly. You can put your hands down. Thank you. How many would say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I need to be saved. I want to be saved. Would you please pray for me? Anybody like that? Just slip up your hand real quick. Anybody? I see that hand. Thank you. Anybody else? I see that hand. Thank you for being honest. For those of you that said, I want to be saved, could you just look at me real quick? Nobody else is looking. Just look right up here, right here. Just look right up here. Nobody else is looking. Just look right here. You can be saved today. You know that. All you have to do is set aside all of those things that's keeping you from coming to Christ. Would you be willing to do that today? Here's what I want you to do. And this is for anybody, really. I want you to go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. If you're serious, and we've already talked, if you're serious, you could say this prayer to the Lord from your heart. Lord Jesus, I realize today that I'm a sinner and I deserve to go to hell. But I believe with all of my heart that you died on the cross for my sin, that you rose again from the grave, And you're my only hope. I ask you now, the best way I know how, would you please come into my life? Will you please forgive me of my sin? Would you please take me to heaven when I die? Jesus, thank you for saving me. Now, friend, what the Bible says is, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you did that from your heart this morning, could you just look up at me real quick and let me, have, let me have that confirmation? Did you mean that prayer today when you prayed to God? Did you mean that? If you meant it, just look right up here at me. All right. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for your salvation. We pray today that this one has been saved, and we're so grateful. We're so grateful, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. We're thankful that the gospel still works. We're thankful, God, that you're still looking for us. And I pray we would be found, but not just found, that we would be found faithful. Lord, help us this week to live for you, be completely dedicated to your service. Thank you again for these that are here. Bless them for their attendance and their attentiveness. I pray in Jesus' name.